song. I can't waste any time tonight. Good evening, beloved. Very thankful to be here. I was supposed to be here 15 years ago, <laughs> so this is a long time coming. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> tonight I want to talk to you about this passage. This passage is something of a creed to me. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, depending on your version. I want to share with you tonight, and if you have a scratch of note paper and a pen, write this down. It's worth the price of admission. Wait, you didn't charge? <laughs> Regret, impatience, and fear. Regret, impatience, and fear are three valid assessments of whether or not you have been transformed in Jesus Christ. And if you think about that, I'm not looking for change, I'm looking for the clicker. Thank you. Wrong pocket. Regret in the past. Impatience, present. Fear, future. We could talk about that this evening, but I just want to put it out there so it will be in your back of your mind. But fear, love, power, sound mind. Tonight I want to, trying to get this announcement out of the way because I'm, I'm going to be scattered if I don't. Um, I may not be with you the entire evening tonight. Three years ago, I fell into a hole. <laughs> My right leg, all the way up to its end, in an uncovered drainage ditch. And I've kind of been in a bad way ever since. So my energy fails after a little bit. So if I sneak out, it's not because of lack of interest. And honestly, I don't remember the last time I've been up till midnight on New Year's Eve. <laughs> it's kind of sort of like that with weddings. I don't remember the last time I've had any wedding cake at a wedding. Because um, my evening sort of ends just before those two things happen. All right. Let's look. All right, there we go. When the Apostle Paul was talking to Timothy, he had particular fears in mind. The Apostle Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. They had a tremendous relationship, and Timothy was about to witness the death of the Apostle Paul. And Paul knew that Timothy would be impacted by his death. And Paul knew that Timothy was on the same course as he was. 
And so there was a tremendous chance that Timothy's spirit would fail him in the coming days. And that's why the Apostle Paul addressed this this marvelous word of encouragement and admonishment to young Timothy. And so the fears that Paul spoke of, I think, were specifically related to death and ministry. That pretty sums up life, doesn't it? And tonight, I'd like you to just keep that context in mind as we look at a little bit of all three, power, love, and a sound mind. And this is pretty extraordinary. I've learned some of these lessons in very difficult ways, and I'm excited for what the Lord is going to teach you tonight. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. I want you to think about this for a moment. I one time asked a mentor of mine, what is it about the Christian faith that sets it apart from any other religion and philosophy as far as its ability to bring us peace? And he didn't really have a quick answer. And so over the years, I've tried to develop a a list, (laughs) and I'm offering it to you tonight. And there's far more, I'm sure, but these are the things that, that I think about. I think about the Father and His covenant relationship with us, and Hesed, which I'm filtering, but that's a quality of God which equates to loving kindness and mercy and faithfulness to his covenant. Hesed is the reason Jesus died on the cross. And I'll leave it at that. The power that we have in the faith includes Jesus' priesthood, his sacrifice. It includes reality. Look about you. What you see in this world is not reality. But through Jesus Christ, we have a sense. There's the Spirit's presence and power. There's the transcendence of Christ over all cultures and ages. It's remarkable. There's the community of believers. There is prayer and discernment, wisdom, joy, love, peace, a sense of identity belonging to the tribe of Jesus Christ. There's provision on so many levels. There's the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to think about the fruit of the Spirit for a moment. You know, I firmly believe that the end is going to look a lot like the beginning. That there was a garden in the beginning with the tree of life, and at the close of Revelation, you read about a garden with the tree of life. Well, the one exception is no longer a tree of life, 
It is a grove of trees of life in the book of Revelation. But in the meantime, what grows on trees? Fruit. We are the tree of life to our generations, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That's remarkable. I take it back. That's worth the price of admission. Knowing God, the revelation of his word, we are God's temple, his tabernacle, consumed by, filled with, led by God's presence. The Christian faith is timeless and it is marked by unselfishness. And I don't have time to talk about that, but unselfishness is one of the great advantages of the Christian faith because selfishness is self-destructive. And you'll see a little bit of that in the moments to come. Now, these are the very real and formidable foes against fear. And without them, the Christian faith is just a poor stand-in for psychotherapy. But it's so much more. However, if you're just looking forward to heaven as a richly deserved, all-inclusive, timeshare resort, you have lost the power over fear. If your work for the church is confined to housekeeping for the institution, you've lost the power over fear. If you deem yourself as a sovereign agent of God, authorized by and acting on behalf of the home office, you've lost the power over fear. But regardless of what side of the spectrum you occupy, if you share your opposition's disposition and dismissiveness, you've lost the power over fear. Because fear feeds on self-interest. Power. So much more we could talk about. But love. I'm going to spend the bulk of the time here. I'm going to get you out. Don't be afraid. You'll get dinner. Love knows no fear. Love knows no fear. John said, perfect love casts out fear. How does that work? You know, I've always assumed that the opposite of love is indifference, and the opposite of fear is courage. But biblically speaking, fear and love cannot abide in the same house. And you know why? Because fear is self-oriented and love is other-oriented. And the more you love, the more proficient you grow in love, the deeper you learn to love the greater will be your courage and the less impact fear will have upon you. Fear values self-preservation. 
Love values self-sacrifice. Fear controls. Love trusts. Fear is anxious. Love is peace. Fear is reactive. You scared me. Love is proactive. Fear manipulates others. Love influences others. Fear is easy. Love is hard. Fear gives birth to cynicism and the cowardly. Love gives birth to courage and the heroic. Fear assumes the worst of intentions of those it regards as adversaries. Love assigns the best of motives to those with whom it disagrees. Fear defines itself by what it is not. Love defines itself by what it is. Fear abandons. Love reconciles. And reconciliation is the message of the cross. It's the message of the gospel. Be ye reconciled. If you were an actor on Broadway, playing a Christian, in the divine narrative, you'd have three words. <laughs> Be ye reconciled. To the faithful, these doors keep others out. Fearful. To the loving, these doors allow other people in. Fear protects the institution from the individual. Love preserves the institution for the sake of the individual. Fear flees. No, don't be afraid of fleas. Fear leaves, love stays. Paul wrote, God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he wrote, instead, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. There is a reason, my friends, my beloved, that we ought not to fear like the people outside these doors. Now, we may still feel afraid at times, but it need not shut us down. No fear, no love, no love, no fear. Well, that wasn't so bad. We made it through. I'm going to get you out of here early tonight. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but depending on your version, self-control or a sound mind. I think those two ideas, those two translations are very complementary because as a result of a sound mind, we have control over our reaction to every situation we're in. 
What do you fear? I don't fear heights, per se. I fear the fact when I look up at a tall bridge or building, I see my loved ones falling out of them. So I guess it's a fear of heights. <laughs> but I notice the more transformed I become in Christ, the less I fear, the less it bothers me. In my hometown of Auburn, California, there is one of the tallest bridges in the country. And when we'd have to go out that direction, Kathy would always drive. It bothered me that much. But as I really started a greater walk with the Lord about 15 years ago, she didn't have to drive anymore. In fact, one day we were driving out there, I said, let's stop and get out. And we walked halfway across the bridge. Why? Because as you grow in Christ and grow in love, you are less concerned about you. What do you fear tonight? Speaking of Auburn, California, Scattered against the backdrop of California Sierras, beautiful, beautiful country. And scattered against that natural vista, there is one billboard after another. And you know what they're advertising? Reno and slots. This is what they look like. Every billboard, the casinos of Reno, are trying to entice you by saying they have the biggest payout of all the slot machines in Reno. 91%. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 91%. That's the best payout in Reno. But you know what that means? It means if you give them a dollar, they're going to give you 91 cents back. Now, if any of you are trying to come off of gambling, I'm going to offer you this deal. You just send me as many dollars as you want, and I will give you 91 cents for every dollar you send me. It's okay. I just like serving. Okay. <laughs> Not such a deal. What's interesting about this, I was thinking about this week, because a study has been done about the likelihood of our fears coming true, whatever it is you fear. 91% against. 91% against our fears becoming reality. 91%, I'm not going to fall out of a 20-story building. That's a good thing. So it's pretty remarkable. It's pretty remarkable when you look at your fears from a sound mind that the odds of your fears not being realized are equal to the odds of a Reno casino keeping 91 cents of every dollar. 
Sounds like we in Reno have it made. I've never said that from the pulpit. <laughs> My wife's mother-in-law, she's been gone for a while, but one, one day she told me, she said, um, I was joking with her about something. She has a beautiful sense of humor. And, and she said, well, I'm, I'm just teasing. I said, Barbara, I'm just teasing. And she said, well, Michael, I've learned that the only time I really believe anything you say is when you're behind the pulpit. And I said, but Barbara, I never stand behind the pulpit. And she said, exactly. <laughs> Tough. If everything you fear became true, I dare say you'd be known as a prophet. Adversity will sometimes trouble you, but rarely as you fear and most always for your profit. Your fear of what's ahead is likely triggered by memories from your past and the stories you have penned. But you can edit all your stories, change the past they have pictured, so that what happened then most always need not happen when. A sound mind. God is so good. God has not given us a spirit of power, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Let me tell you a quick story, and then we're done. You remember, and I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version, but you remember the story of, of Israel as they were on the verge of going into the land of promise? Can you imagine what it was like to be part of that generation? That this land that had been promised to Abraham and all of his descendants was now yours to have. And, and God said, God said to Moses, I want you to take one man out of each of the 12 tribes as a scout, as a spy, and I want you to send them into the land and, and see what it's going to take to capture the land, listen, that I am going to give to you. <laughs> see, there was no condition attached, but neither did he say that it would come without a fight. He said, I'm going to give it to you. So these 12 scouts went into uh, the promised land, very low key. They spent 40 days checking out the land. And boy, those people were excited to see them coming over the horizon. And they were really excited about the grapes because they had plucked a cluster of grapes on their way out. Moses had said, bring, some, bring a sample of the food that you'll see, the fruit that's growing. So they picked up a cluster, a cluster of grapes that had to be born 
on a pole suspended between two of the scouts. I dare you to find that at Piggly Wiggly. And they stood up, those 12 scouts, they stood up before Israel. Israel, two to four million people at this point. And boy, they were charged. We scouted out the land. This is the fruit. And then they said that magnificent loaded word, but. They said the people that were in that land were powerful. They were giants. They were the predecessors of Goliath. Give them that much. And we cannot take it. Enjoy your grapes. I think that's where the idea of grapes and wrath came from. I'm not sure. But anyway, there were two scouts that were listening to all of this. And they couldn't believe their ears. Two of the twelve. They had seen the same things. They had heard the same things. But they're thinking, now wait a minute. And they, and they silenced the other ten and they said, this is a good land and we can take it. So what did the other ten do? You know, they rise to the occasion. No, shut up! Yeah. You don't want any of that positivity to affecting our crowd. Those two men, of course, were Joshua and Caleb. We don't know the names of the other ten because they became irrelevant to history. We named children Joshua and Caleb. And you know why? God said it of Caleb in particular. He and, 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 and um, his brother were able to go into the land. Why? Because God said they have a different spirit different spirit than the other ten. What kind of a spirit did they have? They didn't have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. God bless you.